Mac Power Users, Episode 700, Our Workflows. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Stephen. Happy episode 700. Yeah, you too. Uh, Very exciting time. I feel like we just did 500 two days ago. Yeah, it does. We were in Chicago or in Illinois and Mm -hmm. it seems like just the other day you were showing me your cool audio gear and we got on stage and... Blinking an eye, we got 200 more episodes under our belt. Yeah, it is wild. I was, I'm was i looking at the notes. I interviewed you for this. That's right. I took listener questions and yeah. peppered you with them. That was fun. That was fun. That was good. Yeah. That was where we had we spent airtime talking about the critical corn tortilla versus flour tortilla question. <laughs> Very Mac power user question. It was a good yeah, episode. That was fun, and it was a live audience, which is another thing we haven't done in a long time, but hopefully we can again soon. But the uh, 700, I I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I wanted to acknowledge it. You know, 700, that's something. Big number. Uh, Yeah, and um, thank you, listeners, for being along with us on the ride. I I just bumped into a longtime listener recently. I was at a restaurant, of all places, and and she heard me. She's like, are you Max Berkey? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I recognize your voice, but she's been there since the beginning. And I ask the same question I always ask people. Are you still getting something, you know, when you listen? Because we really want whatever we cover, we'd like everybody to get learn at least one thing from every episode. And she said yes, and it made me feel really good. So thank you, Diana. And uh, I hope you're listening to episode 700. Yeah, that's awesome. Here we are, episode 700. Yes. And uh, this week, we're going to walk through a bit of our workflows, how we get our work done, talk about how we make the show, how we do our other projects. Uh, But if you'll permit me one last time to promote the 2024 Apple History Calendar, because this is your final call. The Kickstarter winds down on Friday, July 14th at about 11 o'clock Eastern uh, in the morning. So... uh, this is this is it. So go check it out. Thank you to everyone who has. Uh, I am really happy with this calendar. I honestly think it's it's the uh, the best one so far. And I think it's the most educational. I think uh, it's got a lot of a lot of stuff people aren't familiar with. You know, Apple services and retail are are big areas of the company. And you know, with hardware and software, you're more likely to at least recognize the names. And I learned so much in putting it together. And I think everyone who gets one will too. Yeah, well, something I don't think you've mentioned that I really appreciate, and I, maybe it's I bought the top tier, but at some tier, uh, you get access to the online version of all the events. Yes, as as a calendar you can subscribe to, and I particularly like that, like being able to see in my calendar that this is the anniversary of the you know, whatever the Mac mm-hmm. SE or whatever, and I I just I like that. That's cool. So uh, you just keep giving, Stephen, and and gang, go check it out. Uh, today on More Power Users, Stephen recently took a graycation. If you don't know what that is, you're going to have to listen. But I have many questions about this. Yeah. So uh, we've got stuff to talk about today on uh, More Power Users. The, uh, that is the ad-free extended version of the show. If you'd like to check it out, head over to relay.fm slash MPU and get all the details right there. Okay, so let's start with how... MPU gets made. I think we've answered this in sort of pieces over the years, but it seemed like a good time 
to just kind of walk through the entire process of making one of these episodes. You know, we do one every single Sunday, unless it's like WBDC week, and then it shifts a little bit. But we're very consistent. That's something I'm very proud of, is that we are very reliable in our release, but that takes a lot of work. Uh, Do you want to start off by talking about maybe the scheduling sheet and kind of how we go through that? Yeah, we had lots of things we tried. In fact, you're going to, I think, a common theme today, it will be, we'll share with you what we're doing, but we'll also share what didn't work. Like uh, when the first show first started, we did it as a number spreadsheet, but eventually we got smart enough to put it in a Google sheet. And, you know, Google is a spreadsheet application, but it's online and makes collaboration really easy. And we have sheets set up with multiple tabs in it. And uh, each year has its own tab. And that's actually one of the the modifications Stephen made was to make it easier to read and kind of yeah, improve and load it. faster. It was getting yeah. pretty slow. <laughs> well, I mean, seven hundred episodes takes a while, right? Yeah. But in, in that sheet, we have future show topics and planning, and it really is a planning tool for us as well. Because often Stephen and I start talking about a show months before it gets recorded, and we'll put it in on a date. And then we'll say, you know what, that one's not done cooking yet. Let's push it back a month or two weeks or whatever. So it's kind of the place where we kind of decide what we're doing. Stephen and I weekly do planning calls. So we we do a lot of discussion about trying to bring you the best content for the show. And the um, the scheduling sheet is where we track that all. And it's a very, you know, it's a sheet. It has the show title, has notes about it, sometimes has sponsor information, uh, when it's going to record, when it's going to air. And it's just a place that both Stephen and I can go and see what's up and coming and plan future stuff. And we really go far out with it. Like I've got stuff already in the sheet for 2024 because, you know, there's things that happen at certain times of the year and we want to make sure we remember, oh yeah, we're going to be doing that. So we should make sure we reserve a show to cover that. And uh, it's really, uh, it's a low friction way to do this um, we could, this is something we could make a lot more complicated if we wanted, but we find that the simple solution of just a Google sheet is working really well. So we've never changed it. Yeah. I mean, looking through the rest of the year, there's only about five weeks that we don't have anything in. And towards the end of the year, we try to keep, stay flexible because we want to cover Apple's OS releases. You don't really ever really know when they're going to come out. I mean, iOS and iPadOS are pretty consistent, but macOS moves around a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, then we have some some staples like talking about the new iPhone or doing our holiday gift guide. And um, and we've done the, uh, the last couple of years, we've done sort of state of the platforms. And initially that was an episode per platform and that's shortened into kind of one that we do before WDC now. It's so, like, we do have our standbys and, I think if you've listened to a long time, you've you've picked up on those patterns. Yeah, and uh, contextual computing to the rescue. It's because it's a Google Doc or sheet. It's a link, so I have um, saved that link in various places of my mm-hmm. system, so I can push a button on the Stream Deck or click a link in Craft or wherever I'm working and get to that document very quickly. Uh, and one of the modifications I made this year is I've made, I've really gone all in with tab groups in Safari and I have an MPU tab group and that is a pinned tab in that group. And it's the very first one. Cause that is kind of the starting point for show planning and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Tab groups. You can, you may not know this to your listener, but you can pin a tab in a tab group 
and it's only pinned in that tab group. So if you go to a different tab group, you have a different set of pins, which is kind of nice. I, I, uh, I continue to be impressed with tab groups and I continue to be frustrated that we don't have more shortcut support for tab groups, but that's another discussion. <laughs> I think the other part of the conversation about planning is our various formats. You know, we have shows like this, which are topical, but sometimes those go into a single app really deep. Sometimes we do roundups where we talk about, hey, these are, you know, five or six different weather apps or different copy, you know, clipboard managers, that sort of thing. Yeah. We've got our guest interviews, which I think are really like one of the hallmarks of MPU because there's not a lot of shows in our space that do interviews anymore. Interviews are a lot of work, uh, a lot of work for us. We have to find people. We got to have a good interview. We got to make sure the audio is okay. It's more work for our editor. But I think that they are really something that set MPU apart. And and I think we've had some some really interesting ones. Like I, I just keep thinking about the recent interview we did with the uh, the the Mac Pros on the Billy Joel <laughs> tour, you know? Yeah, yeah. You ever just think about those trash can Mac Pros? Like, what are they doing? How are they still working? Nobody yeah, they're knows. like in a crate right now, like on <laughs> yep. Highway I-5, you know, somewhere. <laughs> just bouncing, just bouncing around with those drives in them. Mm. Saying, maybe I'll work Chip Billy. Maybe I won't work Billy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh yeah i actually funny it's funny you say that but i do think about that yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh anyway or they're probably in a in a place that's like like 90 degrees and humid always i mean they live in the back of a truck (laughs) yeah i mean yeah but anyway yeah so we do we do guest interviews and and those are really fun and we've got you know we've got some guests that repeat because they have interesting things to say and we've got new and interesting guests. We're always on the search. You know, we, we get a lot of people approach us, but we really like to be focused on bringing you guests that can, can give you that one thing per episode. Like just to give us some examples, I'm not going to name names, but we've had some celebrity guests approach us over the years that we actually turned down because uh, while they're a celebrity, when you get talking to them, they really aren't Mac power users. And Mm -hmm. that's what we're looking for. You know, yeah, the show's not celebrity show, it's Mac Power users. So so we we definitely are very picky, but we also like to try and bring you interesting people and and that's really fun. You know, the beginning of that was that the first year of the show there were no guests, and I felt like, well, there's only so much to say about our workflows and what are other people doing? And the whole thing started with Merlin Mann. And uh I feel like that has been a great part of the show. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's a prime example of somebody whose taste and way of computing like he's always open to interesting ideas and even though like merlin's very famously text based right he's got a mountain of text files like even what he does with them and how he interacts with them changes and i always look forward to to him being on yeah and then we have feedback episodes and you know we've over the years we've tried to figure out the timing of that we want to make them often enough that we can get timely feedback but not make them too often but Honestly, those are some of my favorite shows to record because when you do a feedback show, you really have the ability to kind of go off the rails a bit and talk about stuff that's interesting that doesn't necessarily fit into one topic. So those will always be a part of the show. And 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 our listeners are so smart, it gives us a way to share that. I mean, we yeah. have the forums and that, those are great, but a lot of people just listen to the show and this gives us a way to kind of put some of that feedback into circulation. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we've been doing them about every eight weeks or so. Not on a tight schedule, but, you know, pretty regularly is what we want. Yeah. Yeah. We started a new format in this last year. I don't know if anybody realized it. Uh, we have we didn't really announce it, but we call it Software Club. And it is where we talk to app developers, but the show is split in half. We do half of the show without the developer, and then we do half of the show with the developer. So we can tell kind of our thoughts on the software, but then we can kind of get the story behind the software. Mm-hmm. And we've only done a few of those, but those have been had really high receptions and downloads. And I think people dig it. So we're going to continue doing that as we head into the next year. Yeah, I think it's interesting because we can do a deep dive and talk to a developer, but the developer conversation is really limited in scope. You know, so sometimes those people have been guests maybe on a workflow show sometimes years before, but also like some developers kind of just want to talk about their work and I totally get that and respect it. And so it's it's kind of a win all the way around. And I do want to do uh, I do want to do more of those as well. I think there's some some interesting people we could talk to in the space, especially yeah. moving into uh, Vision OS and spatial computing, right? Yeah, that was so interesting at WWDC to kind of see the glow in all our developer friends' eyes. Like, there is a new frontier. Um, there's a new computing platform, spatial computing. I'm not sure Apple knows what that means. And I think they are, to a large extent, relying on developers to come up with cool uses for this technology. And uh, and the impression I get is everybody is trying to figure that out. And like yeah. we get we get the benefit of that. We get to see mm-hmm. what 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 sticks and what doesn't. Yeah, and, and I think MPU. I mean, seven hundred episodes. It's a long time, right? When y'all started the show, it was just the Mac, right? But. Yeah. Here in 2023 with 700 episodes in the can, like a new platform, like that's really exciting to me as an MPU host, because the question, I think really like the question that's at the heart of so many of our episodes is like, how does this technology benefit somebody, you know, whether it's in work or in personal life or whatever, like, what is it good for? And there's very few devices where that's a bigger question leading into it than vision pro. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes over the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, the goal with the show has always been to give listeners usable content, things that they can help improve their computing on. Um, I often get emails from listeners saying, well, I'm not a power user, but, and the thing I always want to say to those people, in fact, I have a snippet for it is like, look, the show is not meant to only be listened to by power users. It's mm-hmm. meant to make power users and, and you know, the guests are power users and some of the things we do as power users, but some of the things we do is very basic too. And I think all of us can like pull each other up together on this. Um, the other occasional format we do, and we really try not to do this very often is the news based ones. But like when we attend WWDC, we'll do a show on the news from that because we have takes people want to hear it. And, and that's cool, but really, that's not the focus of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you explain a little bit about the concept of like the ramp in an MPU episode? Yeah, I mean that was my my kind of my idea from the beginning of this, and the idea is that when we cover a topic, we give a ramp to the listener to come along. Some of our listeners are power users and super deep and know all the stuff, right? You know. I start talking about Apple script and they start envisioning, you know, 
hundred line Apple scripts in their head that they wrote two weeks ago. And some of them are like, what is an Apple script? So the challenge for us as hosts is to allow the people who are interested in it deeply to get something out of the show, but also the people who don't know about it and they want to like come along. And that's what I call the ramp. When we, we cover a topic, we often try to start with the basics and work our way up the ramp. And I get emails from listeners sometimes say, oh, I really like that episode, but about halfway, I lost, you lost me. And I'm like, that's great because for half of the show, we gave you something you could use. And then the same episode, I'll get an email from someone saying, that was a good episode. The first half was really boring because I knew all that stuff, mm-hmm. but the second half got interesting. And I'm like, that, that means the ramp worked, you know, that we got you, whether you're a pro user or you're not a pro user, we got something for you to use. And that's the ramp. And that honestly, I, when Steven came on the show, I explained it to him. He immediately got it. Yeah. And if you listen to our content shows, that's our secret sauce guys. I mean, the, uh, we really try to give something to everybody when we make a show and, and that's how we do it. We even kind of do the same thing with guests. Mm-hmm. Like often we'll, we'll, uh, encourage a guest to share some basic stuff that they do with workflows, but then we eventually kind of dive deeper into like getting into the nitty gritty for people who want to go that far. It's, it's hard. And sometimes we do better than others, but, but that's what we're aiming for when we make a show. But we're telling all our secrets today, Steven. Yeah, that's okay. That is okay. So from the planning, uh, usually one of us will kind of take a lead on a document. You know, if it's a guest that, you know, or a guest that I know, we'll take the lead. If it's something that, is maybe a little more in my wheelhouse than yours or vice versa. Generally, each outline kind of has a lead and we'll work on several of them at once. I mean, we've got um, usually a, a couple at least, if not in Google Docs, definitely I know I have more just sort of in like Apple Notes still, just like putting things together yeah. over time. And we do, you mentioned our planning call that we do. Uh, we also do, when we can, a planning call with an upcoming guest so we can kind of Make sure they're comfortable, you know, kind of go over how it's going to work, make sure their audio isn't garbage. And we can't always do those, but we definitely try our best to, to do so. Yeah. And we kind of vet the guests. I mean, we've had people where we did the planning call and then we decided not to do the show. Yeah. Um, and it's just a way, once again, the whole idea here is to make the product good for the people listening and to give you that one thing. So that just gives us a chance. But I really enjoy uh, having the planning call with Steven weekly. And I've done a lot of podcasts over the years and I think we're kind of in, we're unique in that, that we do that much, but yeah, um, uh, it's been really fun with you, Steven, because you just got so much knowledge and we decide to come up with a topic and you just start spilling out ideas. And it's really fun uh, kind of just saying, okay, that one sounds like something that you're going to be good at. So you take the lead and I'll take the lead on a different one. And I really feel like it, it results in some really great shows, but it all starts with, you know, two friends talking together about stuff that we think could be useful to the audience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we do that and we, we've moved the time over, over the years and stuff, but that, that still happens. We just had one today. Yep. Just right before this. So that's really fun. But then once we get it, somebody owns an episode, we don't even really write it down. We just kind of know, right. Yeah. This one's yours or that one's mine. Yep. But we keep each other very informed. We use all the stuff in the background. Uh, Stephen and I have an active text thread between us, which is largely friendship stuff. But on the Relay um, Slack, we we kind of track anything related to the shows. And like because 
you know, getting guest pre-interviews sometimes is difficult. Sometimes one or the other of us can't make it. We can keep each other updated on how that's going. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as we start getting um, meat on the bones for an episode, we create a Google document for it. And we both share links for that. Same thing goes with the hyper, um, with, you know, with the um, contextual computing that those links, those hyperlinks can be used anywhere. So they start populating so we can jump into them. The best interviews are the ones that we cook for a while where we come in and out of them and, and they evolve over time. Yeah. Off, often the original draft of the inter, of the show is not the final draft. You know, we move things around and and cut things and add things and it's it's a collaborative process, you know. Even though one of us may take the lead, uh, both of us spend time on every show. Yeah, I think it's it's what makes it so good. And you know, I've been around a long time now on the show and it is a, it's a great partnership and I hope people can, can hear that and, and how we, how we relate and just, you know, the care we put into it. We do a lot of stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about post-production in a second, but we do a lot of stuff beyond what other relay shows do. Like we have the forum, we have the newsletter, we have all this prep. And I think that it shows. And I think that people can, can feel like the time they're putting into Mac power users is good time spent because we have spent so much time preparing it. Right. The last thing I want to do, because I really like deeply believe it's disrespectful to the listener if we show up and wing something like. Yeah. So that that just doesn't happen on this show. It does not. The other thing that's interesting and people have asked me about this, and I don't think I've ever addressed it publicly, but we don't really go negative that often. People say, well, how come you don't, you know, tell me about all the bad apps and. The reason is, I feel like. What's the point of that? (laughs) Yeah, we go through apps that we reject when we develop a show. Like, if we're going to do a show on, we did the clipboard manager show, I think last year or earlier this year, there were two or three clipboard managers we tried that we cut out of the outline. And and the point is, I would rather spend the time telling you about the stuff that's useful than the stuff that isn't. And I understand that there is like a draw to the negative. I mean, just go on YouTube and look for anything that you love. And you will find a million people making videos about how terrible it is because those are the videos that as humans were inclined to watch. And there's like a whole, you know, there's a whole thing there, but we just decided early, we're not going to do that. And um, we, we want to spend the time that you give us on stuff that's useful to you and not the stuff we hate. So mm-hmm. except for the five gigabyte limit in iCloud, we will still be talking. Always. About that. Always. Always talk about that. Yeah. Oh man. I was going to write a post today because Apple hit the $3 trillion market cap. Mm-hmm. And I was going to put it at the bottom. And in celebration, Tim Cook announced everybody's going to get 50 gigabytes of data. But then I realized somebody will take it seriously. Yeah. Then some somebody will pick it up and run it that I said it. And then, yeah, I just said, no, nah, yeah. I'm not going to. Uh, that's that. where the delete tags in HTML come in handy. You can hide yeah. your joke behind a strike through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. One thing that, that is different uh, starting when I took over is that I took over the post-production of the show. So when Katie was on, y'all had an editor. When I took over, I took over the edit really because and really it was selfish. I wanted to know the show better. And there's really honestly no better way to improve your craft than to edit yourself. And so I edited MPU for a couple of years after joining. I still edit connected. We'll talk about that in a future section of this episode, but we uh, When we're done recording, all the audio 
gets put into Dropbox. Uh, Jim Metzendorf, he edits a lot of shows on Relay FM, including this one. He does a fantastic job. Jim is an amazing editor and an amazing human being to work with. And so we give him the files, and then I take notes during our recording that are time-stamped. So, okay, this is where the ad goes. You know, David cleared his throat. Stephen restarted a sentence. You know, all those notes, so he has them. And then a few days later, later, I get edited files back from Jim for Mac power users and for more power users. And I make sure that all the metadata is correct. I put everything in the, the relay content management system, which is called neon, which is something that we wrote at relay FM uh, and have continued to work on over the nine years we've, we've been around. And uh, then they get scheduled to go up and I schedule all the social posts and everything. And I really just took that over because I did it on my other shows and I spend, I probably spend more time in our CMS than anyone. And so it was very, it was just a very easy thing for me to take off your plate and it lets you focus on the, the newsletter aspect of it. I know you have some help with that, but that's something that we do in post-production that is different than at least my other shows. Yeah. And I appreciate it so much because as good as Steven is and all that stuff, I am bad at it. Like I have to remember, I would make myself little videos to remind me what boxes I'm supposed to check. And, you know, Mac Power just has a big audience. I do not want to push the wrong button. So every time I would publish the show, I'd feel like, what am I missing here? What, how am I going to break it? I don't think I ever actually did break it, but I got close a few times. <laughs> you know? And I'd always like, text Stephen like is this what I'm doing and then at some point Stephen very kindly said well you know what I'm just gonna do that <laughs> you know? and uh, I feel like that, that's an incompetency on my behalf I'm just not good at dealing with that CMS system to get everything just right but uh, I love that I don't have to do it anymore I'll just <laughs> good good yeah and then neon is is an amazing thing so Stephen along with the help of a developer has really built a content publishing system uh, customized for a podcast network, which is super impressive. I mean, like you guys are always updating it. Like you can go in there and say, publish this show next Tuesday at 10 AM and mm -hmm. we'll do that. You know? And so it just, uh, what, what the listeners don't know is that in addition to being a great podcast, host, Steven also really gets the back end of a podcast network. And I don't think relay could, really keep afloat without all the stuff you do on that stuff. Yeah, and I try to be really responsive to what people need. So like we've put features in a neon that I don't use or, or care about, but are really important to somebody else. So like yeah. you mentioned the scheduling where, uh, so like I usually have the edits back by Friday. And so sometimes Friday or maybe on Saturday, I get everything you know ready and I set it to publish in, in, in the future, you know, at, 5 p.m. Eastern on Sundays when the show goes up. That scheduler came out of a need that other people had. And for a while, you, I mean, for years, you just had to save everything as a draft and go in and publish it yourself. And, you know, that's a feature that we've added and has made everyone's life better. And a lot of people wanted it. But there's also things that are very specific to certain shows that they wanted. And, you know, I want to build a tool that all of our people want to use. And, uh, you know, not many of the people on, in the world get to see it or use it, but we're pretty proud of it. Yeah. But, you know, I've been making podcasts now for 15 years or more. And um, I, I will tell you that the whole process is quite refined. I feel like, you know, we, we are both constantly questioning what works and doesn't work and trying to make it better. And uh, it's really been fun 
kind of doing that on the back end and and making that workflow work mm-hmm. for us. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Protect yourself and your family. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU and get 20% off when you sign up. Our lives these days really is a collection of digital information about us, and sometimes we need to share it, and that is not easy. With 1Password, you can keep it safe, but also always have it at your fingertips and ready to share securely. To begin with, let's talk about autofill. No longer should you have to hunt for information. You can save and fill usernames, passwords, two-factor authentication codes, form fields, and payment information automatically, all from 1Password. Likewise, you can store and share with confidence. You can put medical records, the front door code, credit cards, whatever, in 1Password and then securely share it with your family or send individual secrets to anyone, even if they don't use 1Password. All of that's covered on your 1Password account. We use 1Password in our family. I pay the fee every year gladly because with it, I know I'm protected. And one of my favorite features is Watchtower, which gives you at-a-glance information you need to stay safe and take action when you need to. Watchtower watches the vendors and people you work with and lets you know when you have weak, compromised, or duplicated passwords. It even keeps an eye out to let you know if any of the sites you deal with use two-factor authentication so you can go ahead and enable it. One of my favorite improvements to Watchtower over the past few years is the way they've made the panel for Watchtower so much easier to read and understand. You do not need to be a computer expert to understand it. It's very good. It gives you a rating. It shows you compromised websites. It shows you reused passwords. Everything is right in front of you. You tap on it. You can go fix it, and you're safer. And everything at 1Password is secure. They've literally built it into the system. The team at 1Password can't see what you store, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it. And they are regularly audited by third-party experts, and they even have the largest bug bounty to help them act on threats before they can affect you. And for your family of up to five members, you get that for just five bucks a month, and then you get 20% off because you go to onepassword.com slash MPU, you get 20% off that, and it's just four bucks a month. Go check it out. They've got a simple admin experience, friendly expert support. They just added a way to manage your account directly from the app so you don't have to go online anymore. It continues to improve, but it's always secure. Check it out, onepassword.com slash MPU. That URL, one last time, onepassword.com slash MPU. Get 20% off and start protecting yourself and your family today. Thanks, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So I want to stay on the podcast theme just a little bit because I do get questions on a pretty regular basis about how I edit shows. And I edit uh, connected and ungenious on a regular basis. I mean, all, all those episodes of those shows I edit. And then I edit some membership stuff. So if you're a member and you listen to Spotlight or Backstage or Fusion, which is kind of retired, but not may come back in the future, I edit all that stuff as well. So I'm I edit... Usually, I mean, several hours a week. I mean, connected is like all day Wednesday. But uh, a lot of the workflow is the same for any of the shows where we're recording using Zoom to hear each other. We use Skype for a long time, and we moved to Zoom in the last couple of years because the sound quality is way better. And critically, you can use it as a backup recording. And with Skype, you had to use this plugin by Ecamm which 
has, as far as I know, is like stopped being developed. A Skype had changes. Ecamm like changed their business to a streaming thing. And we were kind of left without a way to, to record a backup. And that's especially important on a show with guests because even though you can walk somebody through how to record, they may mess it up or something may happen. You also want a backup file just when it's the two of us because things happen and things break. Uh, so Zoom has really been a great move for us. And because of the pandemic, everybody in the world knows how to use it. We used to have trouble when we were using Skype. I guess to be like, oh, I don't have a Skype account or, oh, I did in 1999, but I haven't, you know, <laughs> I haven't checked it since or whatever. And so Zoom is, is just like has become universal in a lot of ways. And that's been that's been nice. Yeah, it still baffles me how Skype lost that lead. I mean, I because they were so dominant, but Zoom made it easy for people and everybody went. But you're right. Audio quality is a big piece of that, too. And uh, they have actively kind of like spread their lead in terms of what they do. There's mm -hmm. a lot of other options now. Uh, some people are making podcasts now where they're making recording tools that are on the web where you just yep. plug into a website and it records it on the web. Um, something we do that um, just to get technical for a minute is we use only local recordings for the published show. And unless something goes wrong, um, but generally what happens is like, as we record the show today, Steve and I are on a zoom call. But at the same time, we're both using Audio Hijack to record a local recording of our just our voices. Mm -hmm. And then what we do, the actual version of the show you're hearing is that local recording of Steven recorded on his machine. And then that recording of me made on my fancy new Mac Studio. And then Jim glues them together. But that's actually really hard because of the way computers work. They have what they call audio drift where it doesn't necessarily stay in sync, especially in an hour and a half long show. So Jim's got to do some magic tricks to make everything line up. But uh, there's there's a, a bit of effort that goes into it, but the result is the final recording never has any artifacts from Zoom. You know, none of us ever sound like Cylons. Right. Even though when we're, we're recording, sometimes we do. And it's actually kind of funny as a podcaster, like sometimes Steve and I'll be talking. I don't know if I should share this, but sometimes he goes like into Cylon mode from Zoom. And I can hear kind of what he's saying, but not really. And then eventually he's silent and I just assume what he said and I just pick up, yeah. you know, and it works, <laughs> you know, it, and sometimes <laughs> we just fake it that way because we know each other now. If we did show playing, we have an outline, we know what was going on, but, but um, it is funny sometimes that, you know, our, when we are recording the show, our conditions are actually really bad. Like, you know, when the weather's bad on one end or the other, or zoom just has a, a, uh, a bad day but the, the the local recording is always pristine and we almost always use it i can't think of a single time in the last two years we had to use the backup but maybe we did for one yeah so, uh, usually it's a guest like if we have a guest on and they forgot to hit record or something then mm -hmm. we'll use the backup but it's very rare and because jim's a, a wizard he usually makes them sound pretty good anyway but it, it's it's a weird thing uh, we never really talk about it, but yeah, we, the actual means of our communication is zoom, but the actual recording you're listening to are those local recordings. Right. It means that the, the finished product sounds better than it sounds to me and you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but also the point we, we want the show to sound good. We spend a lot of time and effort and money to make that possible. Sometimes we have guests on that are like audio professionals or people who are really smart. And they're using like their crappy built-in microphone oh, for, for Zoom. 
that they're making a really good recording with a microphone into a separate audio track. And they always assure us that they are, but while we record the show, they sound terrible. Yeah. And we're both just sitting here clenched with certain body parts thinking, I really hope that backup recording is, is good. And like, we often have them like, well, let's just test it before we start. Just give it a little test. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and that's never blown up in our faces, but whatever it happens, cause you don't want to be totally rude to the guests, but it's like, oh man, it hurts. You know, because like they, for whatever reason, they've got like a different computer that's got the good mic attached to it and they're yeah. recording that separately. And oh man, that's rough. But so far, knock on wood, that's never, never bit us. Yeah. Sometimes when I send the files and the Google Doc to Jim, I'm just like, I'm just going to apologize in advance <laughs> for this. But uh, he's, he's so good. And, and I've learned a lot from both him and Jason Snell in my editing. So uh, move from audio hijack. And then I, I think Jim does this too, but I will pre-flight my files in Adobe audition. So I edit podcasts and logic. I just learned logic a long time ago and logic is extreme overkill. And I have so many features turned off in logic. When I see, when I open like a new, say like a brand new file in logic just to do something fast, there's so many parts of the UI I never see in my templates. I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't know what any of this does. Um, it's not really built for podcasters, but I use Audition for its normalization and volume matching. So what these tools do is normalization looks at a single audio file start to finish, and it tries to bring up the volume of the quieter parts because it's just inevitable over an hour and a half that you may be a little bit quieter at some point and louder than others. And it's trying to do its best while not blowing anything out on the high end to bring up those quiet areas. Very often on Connected, because again, I edit it every week, that's laughter on somebody's tracks. Connected is a show that's a, a bit looser than MPU in terms of uh, basically everything. And sometimes I need to go in there like, okay, bring Mike's laughter down so I can bring the rest of it up but I want the volume to be kind of consistent throughout the file. And then I will volume match all three files uh, against a a known number. So, and then like the, the science of volume and how we perceive volume is very complicated. I don't pretend to be an expert in it, but uh, I have some values again, borrowed from Jim in audition that say, okay, these files need to be at this base loudness. And so Federico tends to be a little bit quieter than me and Mike just with his recording setup. And that's not a big deal because I can fix it. And I don't like editing in Audition, but I will process these files in Adobe Audition and then export them. And if something's really broken, I'll turn to a tool called Isotope RX. Uh, Isotope is an extremely high-end set. It's an audio program, but they also have plugins. So you can run the plugins like in Audition or in Logic. I tend to use the standalone application because it really slows down, even on Apple Silicon machine. It really slows down your exports in Logic if you have Isotope plugins running. But if someone has egregious background noise, like someone left the air conditioning on too loud, or someone has, you know, maybe like some echo, some reverb, I can get rid of it in Isotope better than in any other tool I've tried. And I've tried basically all of them. Not something you need when you're starting out podcasting. Again, this is 
our profession. Like I have a company, I can spend money on tools for the company. But Isotope has really saved countless episodes of shows that I edit and episodes of MPU. I would imagine that most guest audio, Jim runs through Isotope at some point to take care of something. It can work wonders. Yeah, that's the one, right? Are there any other plugins that you rely on in the process? I don't. Uh, I use Apple's built-in compressor. I think that their compressor sounds pretty good. I don't do much compression at all. Just really just a little bit, uh, a little bit more on Federico than Mike and I. His his voice is a little boomier than ours normally. But that's about it. I, I really want people to sound how they sound. Now, I know Jim EQs Mac Power users, and I don't EQ connected. So like I sound a little bit different between the two shows. It's slight. Most people probably want to hear it. But um, I really... I don't do much. Now, if I was edit when I was editing MPU with guests, I would do a lot more. Like I would do more EQ, I would do more tinkering to especially make a guest sound as good as possible. But the shows that I edit now are the same people each week usually. So I know what I'm getting and, you know, it's not a surprise. But I do use an editing style that involves strip silence. So I'm going to have a link to a post that Jason wrote at Six Colors in 2015. And it's basically how I edit. Uh, I basically edit the way Jason does, where you line all your tracks up, and there's a tool in Logic called Strip Silence. It gets rid of all the quiet parts. So you just see blocks or where people are talking. And that is a couple things. One, uh, it makes it really easy to see where there's crosstalk, where two or more people are talking at once. And I can separate that and clean it up. But you have to really make sure that the recording is good. If someone has consistent background noise and you use strip silence, the background noise will stop and start. And like you'll get like a hiss and then their word will start and then they end their sentence and you get a little hiss and then it stops. Like it's very rough sounding. So you really got to have good audio to use strip silence. But uh, the way Jason edits has been very influential on me. And so an episode of connected like i'll do a i'll put a, a screenshot in the show notes of this past week's edit so you can see just most of those cuts and there are from strip silence they're not from they're not from me you know making a million little cuts in an episode yeah and, and another thing that's related to this process is when you make a podcast you don't see the other person yeah right and that's deliberate on our behalf. I really feel strongly that whenever I turn a camera on, I start talking with my hands and I start talking non-verbally, which is great. So Steven can learn what I'm saying non-verbally, but you, you don't see me. Yeah. <laughs> so the listener doesn't see me. So, so I think it actually hurts it. It requires me to be more deliberate when I can't rely on a camera, mm-hmm. but it also means sometimes we, we talk over each other. It's, it's particularly bad when you have a guest, right? Like if suddenly there's some silence, you want to fill it, you want to ask a question, whatever, and when you both start asking at the same time, it just, those crashes inevitably happen. And then you've got delays from Zoom, right? For whatever reason, the connection's a little slow. So even though I start talking, you don't hear it for another half second. Um, and as a podcaster, you just have to like accept that and like, okay. And we'll just say, all right, you ask, you know, and then Jim edits, edits me yeah. out saying that. And, but, but, you know, it's like you have to get used to that, like talking over each other without realizing it. And sometimes Stephen and I have done this long enough that we've just got used to each other. And like we may both ask a single question at the same time 
But then we just continue as if that didn't happen because we know Jim will take out one of them and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Right. But it it feels rude. Right. It's like, Oh, I talked and he talked, it just happens and you just got to kind of roll with it. And editors like Steven and Jim are able to like make sense of it. Yeah, exactly. And if you, if you do it for a long time, you know what people are going to say when. Yeah. Like at some point I'm going to mention obsidian, right? (laughs) Cut it out, Jim. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Clean My Mac X. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps can slow down even the latest, most powerful Macs. Maintaining your Apple machine, whether old or new, is essential for smooth macOS performance. And Clean My Mac X is an all-in-one Mac maintenance tool that takes care of that old junk, faulty apps, and even malware. In an efficient, aesthetically pleasing, and hassle-free way. They even have a really cool menu bar app so you can monitor your Mac's health, CPU load, and more from anywhere in the system. With nearly 30 million downloads and 15 years of expertise, this app is a must-try for any Mac user. Run Clean My Mac X in the run-up to the new versions of uh, macOS. Sonoma is coming later this fall, and you want to be in tip-top shape when it arrives. Apple continues to pack the Mac with more and more features, and Clean My Mac X ensures that your hardware remains healthy and running at peak performance, so you can enjoy a seamless macOS experience. My favorite thing about Clean My Mac X is the design, that it has all these tools in one place, but it's really easy to walk through them all. They have suggestions in there. It's really easy to use for something so powerful. All Mac Power users listeners can get 5% off of Clean My Mac X. Check out the link in the show notes or go to macpaw.app slash MPU. That's macpaw, M-A-C-P-A-W, macpaw.app slash MPU. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay. Uh, people have asked me about the labs and what I'm doing over there because there's a lot going on. And I have not shared my workflows with the labs members guess i should have done that really now i think about it but let's talk about it here on mpu started you know the labs was the thing i started doing when i stopped being a lawyer and it gave me a chance to share a lot of behind the scenes stuff the thing about being a lawyer was there was so much i could not share because most of my daily work involved legal clients and i can't you know put that on the internet Uh, so this really opened me up and it's been really fun but I didn't know exactly what it was going to be when I started because when you do something like this, you really don't know how it's going to evolve. But now, a year and a half in, we do have a pretty regular rhythm. Monday, I put out a newsletter or a video. Tuesday, we do a video for the backstage, kind of the tier two, two, tier two and three members where I'm testing or trying things out or instructing on something. Uh, Wednesday, I usually put out a, a video for everybody, like a, a shortcut or something. And then Thursday... Uh, we do stuff for the tier three early access people and Friday we do a podcast and that's like, that's where I get my news itch every Friday. We do a podcast in the labs just summarizing the week's Apple news. And so that's like a production schedule and the live event stuff is spread out based on time zones. I have um, labs members in Europe and Asia and America and some that have, you know, Monday through Friday jobs and can only attend on Saturday and some who uh, like to come during the week. So I try to like move all that stuff around to give everybody a chance, but the, um, but it's a production schedule and 
it's you know it's something I need to keep up with. It's a lot of content that that we put out. In fact, so much so that a few people have quit. They said this is too much. It's like the New Yorker problem, right? You know, mm. you give me too much stuff, I just can't deal with it. Which is silly. I said just watch the stuff you want. You don't have to watch it all. But the um, uh, but that is a thing. So I had to build workflows around that, and it's been really you know you know me right. That's actually fun for me. It's like oh, how are we going to do this? What are the tricks to it? You know, how do we get it all going? And a couple things have happened. One of them is um, I've uh, deepened my relationship with JF Brissett. He's a he's a dear friend, but he's also kind of been an editor. Um, he's kind of the production editor. Um, we were talking the other day, we need to give him a new title, I think creative director or something, because he also gives me good advice about what works and doesn't. So, But he does a lot of the second half. I do the first half of content that goes out in the labs. I focus on what are we going to make What's the research on this? Kind of like an MPU episode. What you know? What's the message here? What can I teach? What works? And then I record it. Everything is me. You know, I'm the one doing the recordings. But then JF takes the post production and he does a lot of the, you know, the edits on it and the publication bits. And that frees me up to make more stuff. And it's a very virtuous cycle as we got into it. The challenge for me was letting go because I've been doing my own edits on stuff I make for so long that you know. There is part of me is like, no, I need to do this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, and JF keeps telling me, no, you're fired. That's not your job anymore. You know, go make cool stuff. I'll I'll fix it in the back end. And that's been a a journey for me that I'm uh, I'm on. Yeah, you know, but it's been good because if I look at the stuff in the labs, we're getting stuff out usually five days a week for people. You know, and that's because I'm not doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went through a similar thing giving up the MPU edit, right? And it was yeah. like JF like had a, a relationship with Jim and trusted his work and saw his work on a bunch of other shows. But yeah, handed the, the reins over to to somebody else, no matter how good they are, it's, it's still scary as someone who makes things for a living. But I'm so glad you did it. I mean, you would not have the success you're enjoying with the labs otherwise. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah. And, you know, the labs isn't my only job, right? Yeah. I make three podcasts and I make field guides and I have a blog. And so I don't want this to become my full time job, but I want to be something that people get their value. Yeah. You know, my whole thing with everything I do with Max Sparky is I want you to feel like you got, whether you're giving me your time or your money, I want to make sure you got your value. And, um, and that's important to me. Um, so, uh, the technical bits are kind of the more interesting workflow stuff, though, you know, um, what I do for the labs is first question is, well, how do you get your ideas and what do you decide to make? And I have a million ideas. I'll tell you that idea. The idea part is not a problem. Like there's so many things I want to explore and try and sharing them with labs members allows me to help other people explore and try it. If they don't have time, they can just watch my experiment. If they do have time, they can watch it and try and pick up on it, you know, but uh, getting that list of what we could, what I could make, um, has evolved over time. Originally, when I first started labs, I made it an OmniFocus list, you know, where I just put it in OmniFocus. I'm really good at using OmniFocus with scripts and automation. So anytime I saw a cool idea uh, or thought of something I wanted to, to explore, I just added it to this OmniFocus note. And it, that was perfectly fine. It's a, it's a list of notes and they've got reminders. And with OmniFocus perspectives, I could only see it when I wanted to look on it. But I never got comfortable with the idea of having all of that because there's like 200 ideas in there right now. 
of that in OmniFocus. It just felt like to me kind of like that doesn't belong with where I figure out my important tasks. Mm -hmm. That's just a list of ideas. And for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. And also I wanted to share it with JF, you know, so he could look at it and say, oh, that one's garbage, or maybe you should try this. (laughs) And so we use craft, which I'll talk about in a minute. So at one point I tried to move it into craft, but craft is good for a lot of things, but it really wasn't good for this list of ideas. I, I'll give you some of the details. I might, I like to make automations for this. So when I get an idea, I can run a shortcut, capture the idea and move on. I don't mm-hmm. like to like dwell on it, right? Well, shortcuts does address adding a note to craft, but adding like if I, if I get a link I want to add to it, if I want to add additional notes to it, it actually isn't that good at that. And it's just the granularity of creating a new entry on a note doesn't give you a lot of control. And it's not really made to do that. So it was a bit of a square peg in a round hole, and I hated the way it looked. And so I decided this isn't going to work because I don't like the way it looks. And, you know, me, I'm always looking for an excuse to try something new. Sure. And it, and as Reminders has evolved, I've decided, you know, I want to use Reminders more. And I felt like Reminders is the right location for this. So I wrote a script, a shortcut, that um, I can trigger. It's on the kind of my list of useful shortcuts that I see all the time. And when I trigger it, it says, what's your idea? You know, what's your lab's idea? And I, I, I type in the name of the lab's idea. And then it says, do you have anything to add to it? Clipboard, um, additional notes. Um, you know, I've got like different variables. I can, it's a choose from list in shortcuts if you're a shortcuts user. But basically, I, I tick one of those or none. And I click that. And then whichever one I click, it runs a little if statement. Like if I say, I want to add additional notes and I can type in more stuff and it gets added to it. If I have, a, if it says I want to use a link, it takes whatever link is in my clipboard and adds it to it. Or if I say none, it doesn't add any of that stuff, but it, it, it's got this nice running list of, of reminders, uh, uh, a list and reminders of content ideas that I want to use. And then I can sort them in the list um, into, Oh, this might be a good idea for the early access subscribers. You know, a lot of, I do a lot of productivity stuff with them and, like, oh, this is something that I think they would like. Uh, Or this is uh, something that I think everybody should see. I'm going to put this in the level one stuff. Or this is something that might need an extended YouTube video, and maybe I'll do that. So uh, I just capture the ideas into reminders, and then in reminders, I sort them separately at a separate time. You know, I don't try to do that all at once. Like, I could have written the script to sort them for me, but I don't think I'm really in the mindset to sort them. I just want to say this is an idea I want to explore. Yeah, that fast capture. Yeah, exactly. And because my the way my, my brain spins, if I capture it, then I can go back to work. But if I have to like start deciding where it goes, then I'm totally going to get myself derailed. And uh, that's not good. So uh, so that goes to reminders. I made that switch about three months ago. And I feel like that's it now. That one, it went through several places. <laughs> I had them in Obsidian 2 for a while. But again, the lack of sharing, because I wanted JF to be able to see them, uh, that that just didn't really work for that. So I've got them in a place we can share them. He can see them. I can play with them. I can automate them, you know, check. I think I've got the idea capture thing down now. The other piece of it is then once I have an idea, I go through and shop that list, right? I'm like, Oh, this week I want to make a video about this or write about that. And I pick things off that reminders list and then it gets to like the next level. And that is where we use craft. And uh, again, we tried several things. We, I, I tried Obsidian. I even tried sharing Obsidian, and it was like I was really 
forcing the issue and and uh, <laughs> you, you know what i mean right you know oh, me, yeah right i i want to like try and see if i can stretch this tool to do something it really wasn't made to do and we kind of did it but it wasn't really working right and then uh throughout this process craft kept getting these updates and when they got the update that allowed you to actively track mentions on notes uh that's when i'm like okay this is it uh, so what the the feature that i love in crafts for this is that if I'm in a note, so we have a separate note in craft for every piece of content I ship. Like if I'm doing a video on this application, there's a note about that video and I can put details in it. JF can put edit notes in it. And anytime either one of us has a question for the other person, we just at mention each other, you know, at JF or at David. And then the other one gets a notice. Oh, JF has a question about you for you on this project, Right. And so it keeps everything self-contained and it's super useful. And if you have any team you work with and you're able to use craft, this is a, this is just a killer feature. I, I sometimes think that we should adopt this into the Mac power users workflow, but I'm not sure if that would be adding extra complexity or not. But for us, it definitely is like, you know, Jeff is like, well, are we going to be able to ship this as a 4k video or, uh, can you give me some B-roll of this product so I can add it to the video? Or like, you know, we're constantly going back and forth with stuff we want to make them better. And Craft is the perfect solution for that because it allows you to make a nice, pretty note. Uh, the formatting is nice. It looks good. looks matter to me. It's got a nice UI and it actively tracks mentions. And I can just go into Craft and it gives me a list of all my mentions. So if I've got two or three from him over the last couple of days, I can go through and answer them all. And we, uh, we tried using Slack and other tools, but this one I feel like is the right one because the communications are contained within the project by having them on the project page. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think for, for that sort of work, I think the flow, like that jives with me. I, I think that you've focused on what's important at different steps. Like, when the idea comes, you want to capture it as quickly as possible wherever you are. And Reminders is great for that. And when it's time to flesh it out and communicate as a team, Craft is great for that. I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and JF works with me on the field guides too. And like, we're doing that now for each field guide video. You know, we're neck deep on Obsidian field guide. And like, I just got one from him. Can you give me a new voiceover? Because at one point during the video, I said the wrong app. You know, my brain, the the wires got crossed. So I'll re-record that audio, send it to them, but it's all contained in a specific note created for that, that project, that video in that case, or this lab video or this podcast um, in the labs that we ship or whatever it is that we do, each one has its own note. And then once the thing ships, we mark it as shipped and we never really look at it again. I don't even really have a system to go through and delete them because it only surfaces the ones that are active. And it's just a real kind of low um, friction way to do something like this. And if you're on a small team, I'd recommend checking it out. The downside of craft is you can't limit it. Like I can't say only show JF these notes. He just gets access to the whole database, but that's fine. I mean, I don't have really any secrets from the guy. He's one of my best friends. And there, so there are things about it that are a little weird, but you know, when I hear people using more complex tools for this type of stuff, I'm never really that tempted because this is that sweet spot. It has the features we need with the lowest amount of friction because my job here 
isn't to write and craft. My job is to make the product, to make the thing. And craft is just, you know, the tool that helps us get it there. And I think it's really easy when you get into some of these team management tools where suddenly the management tool becomes the job and that's bad. And that's so easily happens with with complex systems i mean just before you before you even realize it you're spending time rearranging things instead of doing the work exactly you know i mean i feel like notion is like always tempting to me because i could build the system in notion and it would be super cool and it would have a status board of exactly where we stand on each video and all you know but i don't need that stuff right Mm -hmm. you know uh, the way the system is built, I do all the recording. JF takes over the post-production. If there's a problem, I give him whatever he needs to finish his job, and then it gets published, and I'm already working on the next thing. You know, So you know, rather than look at the pretty lights, I'm making things, and that's yeah. the goal. Yep. Again, though, this has all evolved. Like, you know, I did do a Notion experiment. We tried this in Obsidian. Uh, we tried it in Apple Notes briefly because that is collaborative, but it's not as good. Um, but there are things Apple notes does better than craft, but, but the craft mention system for me is, was like, okay, this is it, you know? And, uh, I was really the, the friction point when we tried to do it in Slack because in Slack, he would say, I need a voiceover on this video, but it's not connected to the video. So all my hyperlinks and stuff are not there. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just a pain in the neck. And then they go track down what it is that he needs. Whereas if I have it in the same place with all the hyperlinks, you know, contextual compute for the win and it just makes it easier uh next phase of this am i am i boring should i stop no I mean, it's this great is kind of no this, right. is, this is good okay. to know more workflow stuff all right recording tools for me uh screen flow is mm-hmm. still the winner i so good i get an email every week from someone saying what do you use to record your screen screen flow yep i mean I, over the years, there were a bunch of tools. There were I, I did it in Final Cut. I did it in these wonky tools where you could record the screen, but you couldn't get audio. I've tried it in QuickTime. There's a bunch of stuff out there that people can do this on. ScreenFlow is the winner. Um, they still have some issues still. Like I, My biggest gripe is sometimes the app just messes up where it renders the waveform wrong. And like Steven, when he edits podcasts, he recognizes waveform stuff. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Um, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I use I click my tongue when I'm recording, like like that. You know, I hope Jim didn't just cut that out. But either way, um, <laughs> but if I do a one click, that means uh, whatever I said again, just said I want to say it again because it didn't come out right. But I don't need to change anything on the video. If I do two clicks, it means I need to re-record the video part too because I messed that up as well. And if I have three clicks, it means, boy, I just screwed the pooch so bad. I'm going to start over, you know? And, and when I go to edit the video, I just look for the clicks and I can go through very quickly and make the edits. Cause you can see them. There's spikes on the timeline mm-hmm. and they're very easy to recognize. It's just a shorthand I came up with years ago. I'm not aware of anybody else doing it, but it's my way. JF now knows my click system. So he does it too. Right. And, um, in fact, a lot of times I will go through and do a rough edit for him so he doesn't even have to bother with it using those clicks. But sometimes ScreenFlow puts some in the wrong place. You know? So it's like the audio gets like the way it renders the audio waveform, it just does it wrong. And then you end up cutting the wrong part. So you have to like check it. And that is a bug that's been in the app for like five years. So with that caveat, and the only reason I'm mentioning it is because it does drive me crazy. 
it's a great app and it allows you to, you know, it allows you to apply a noise tools. It allows you to move stuff on the screen. It allows you to highlight the the mouse. It allows you to insert the keystrokes, like everything you need to do to make a screencast that app does. And I would, it's a hundred bucks and I feel like it's a steal at a hundred dollars. I use QuickTime though, sometimes, especially capturing iOS devices. Sometimes I find that easier to use QuickTime and then uh, record audio on top of it. I use Final Cut when I need to. You know, I I use what I need. If I need to use my teeth, I use my teeth. Uh, audio Hijack uh, for audio tools it just continues to deliver the goods. Yeah, um, it's so good. Not just not just for podcasts, but I use it for all sorts of stuff. I record the Lab Lab Report podcast with it. I record voiceovers for JF with it. It's just like I have it set up with automation where it saves to automatically to different locations and. Whenever somebody needs an audio, like sometimes this is one of my biggest failings on Mac Power Users Gang. When we have a guest on, we don't record the title at the time because we often try to make it kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And we do that on feedback shows too. And I always forget to record it when it's my show. And then poor Stephen Hackett is like having fun with his family. Then he has to call or text his deadbeat podcast partner and say, hey, the show's done, but it doesn't have a title. And hey, I got to get it uh, so much so that I've automated the system to get that to them faster. And I'm trying not to do that anymore, Stephen, but you know, so I use all these tools with automation to kind of put production stuff together. And I, I find them, they're all fun to use and they're all really good. Um, the file sharing piece of it with JF is we share a Dropbox folder. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we tried iCloud for a while and I think we could move to it if we wanted to, but you know, we both have Dropbox it doesn't, and I'm worried about iCloud space right now. And these files I sent him are massive because right. a lot of the videos I do in the labs are not just screencasts of the screen, but they're also my face. So then that suddenly like really jacks it up. And we do a lot of the stuff in 4K. And so it's just, they're massive files. Uh, I have this hang up, Stephen. I was going to ask you a question about this uh, offline, but I might as well do it during the show. I am still afraid of putting package files on Dropbox and like screen flows are packages. Like, it packages together all the videos and the audio and it sends it essentially as a folder. But historically, sometimes Dropbox has a problem with that. So uh, I maniacally compress everything I put on Dropbox for JF. Like mm-hmm. I zip it up. And um, and we both agree that we probably don't need to do that, but just go ahead and keep doing it. Do you think I'm being paranoid? I mean, I know our friends on Cortex have their logic projects on Dropbox and that's been I think mostly fine. So mostly is the word that concerns me there. Yeah, I mean I don't know you, I, I don't know for sure. I don't want to be like, yeah, it's great and it'd be a, a nightmare, but I know they've been doing it a long time. I think they do communicate of like, okay, I'm out of the logic project. Now you can go into it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I I'm with you. I was like, I got something about that makes me feel itchy. Yeah, exactly. I call that when you tell each other I'm in the file. Now you, you get in the file, the sock on the door method, you know, and yeah, that, that often <laughs> leads to, to real problems. I know? mean, um, look, that's the, how Mac OS multitask for the first 20 years of its life. So yeah, what could go yeah, wrong? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm done with this memory. You can have it. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah. yeah. But so I, I think I'm going to stick with the plan. It, it's a very quick and I, I'm very tricky with automation, but I zip stuff up before I put it in Dropbox for him. And, and if for us, it's very usually one way it goes to him. And then if anything, I just give him more if he needs it, but mm-hmm. I don't, 
you just send it back. And then he renders a lot of the stuff we do in the labs ends up getting published as video and he renders it out. And we, we've been trying to take advantage of the YouTube 4k stuff. A lot of it goes on YouTube. However, I also do a bunch of stuff now um, with loom, which is kind of the, um, it's just a little service. I, I found, um, I don't know, about a year ago, I read about it and then I hooked it up and I think we've even talked about it. I think when Sean came on, Sean Blanc came on, we talked about Loom, but it's a very easy to use video uh, recording and sharing service where you can just go on, you push a button, it lights up your camera. You can share your screen if you want and make a quick video. And these are very much, um, they're not produced, you know, they're more just kind of off the cuff videos where I talk about something I'm interested in, or if I just want to get some thoughts out or share a quick tip or something, and it doesn't need to go through the usual, uh, fairly extensive, you know, post-production editorial process that we use for the labs. But I think that there is a place for some of that more, uh, extemporaneous content. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the listeners really like the, the loom stuff. So, uh, and that stuff doesn't get loaded to YouTube. That just, we just share the loom link and they can go watch it on loom. And, uh, so I use both of those platforms now and, uh, I'm pretty happy with it. I think they both kind of serve different purposes. The other thing I really like about loom is, uh, it allows me to share a video with a drop of a hat. I just press the button and I get a link and I share it. So like even dealing with feedback emails, sometimes people have a question that's kind of complicated and I can just make them a little video or, you know, Sometimes people write me about stuff that's pretty important. And rather than just write text, I'll send them a video back talking about it, you know? And the, um, I just found that that that's something I picked up in the last year that I've been really happy with. Yeah. I think it's fascinating use for it because I mean, the loom, I think their pitch is like async video for work, but which you are using it for work technically, but I, I also like that for you, I would imagine it's a context switch of like, okay, this is this type of video. I'm going to use this tool. This is kind of how they look. These are people's expectations of it. I think that's very clever. Yeah. They do a, a live transcription. That's not, not terrible. Although it always says Max Barkey instead of Max Sparky, M-A-X-B-A-R-K-E-Y. <laughs> and so many labs members have written me like this. Everybody says, I know you love your dog, but your next dog has to be named Max Barkey. And yeah. I think, they might be right. <laughs> That's like the M2 Max MacBook Pro, you know, it's kind yeah. of the same problem. Yeah. But I, I like Loom. In fact, I feel like as a lawyer, I probably would have found uses for it too. Like talking to other lawyers about like going through a document and just like online. I, I feel like there's a lot of uses for something like that. The other thing I use it for is I've been talking about JF through the show, but I actually have a couple other people that help me on occasion they do some admin stuff for me and I make little videos for them on how to do it. So they don't have to remember, they can always just go back and watch the video. And I've switched to doing those on loom and they just get the link and loom holds onto it for me. And then they can always go back and watch again. But uh, yeah, it's really been fun for me putting this all together and it's always evolving a little bit because I am max Barky. So that's how it's going to be. But but I, I feel like we've really found a nice rhythm and it shows. I mean, the content is better, more frequent, and I have time to do other stuff too. Uh, and I guess the other, I guess the last piece about this in terms of the labs is I really try to do it primarily on Thursdays. And 
Um, we talked about this on the show recently, but I've really been making changes to my schedule where I don't make any appointments on Thursdays. And that gives me a whole day to make a bunch of stuff for the labs members. And the live events obviously are on different days, but that gives me kind of a focal point and using all these cool workflows, it makes it possible. So I don't spend the whole week making labs content. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using code MPU. Building your website can be a daunting thought, but it doesn't have to be. Squarespace is the platform that lets you grow your business online with a website that you construct yourself. With Squarespace, you can build a beautiful website and engage with your audience and sell anything your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got it all in one place. I've been a Squarespace customer since they first launched. I have several websites that I run through them, as does my family and friends. And the thing I love about it is you really build it. It's like a component system. Do you want to sell products? They have a thing for that. You want a blog? They have a thing for that. You want to put up a photo album? They got a thing for that too. No matter what it is you want to put on a website, you just put it together in the Squarespace platform. And because their templates are so beautiful and unique, it's going to look great no matter how you do it. All the things that you used to have to spend a lot of money on to pay someone to build for you, now it's just drag and drop with Squarespace. With Squarespace, you start with the best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination with this new online Fluid Engine. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace website. If you want to sell products, whether they're physical or digital, they've got the tools you need to do that. Just set it up, drag them in, turn it on, and start selling. It's really that easy. And if you're selling things, you need to handle checkout. But guess what? Squarespace has got that covered too. With Squarespace, you can make checkout seamless for your customers. With simple but powerful payment tools, accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay, and offer customers the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. I'm a Squarespace customer. I pay for several sites, both for my family and my kids. They are so easy to set up and run, and I love the combination of power and simplicity that Squarespace brings. I've recommended it to a lot of friends over the years, and a bunch of my friends who have a presence on the internet started with me pointing them at Squarespace. But don't just take my word. Check it out. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash MPU and use offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the offer code MPU when you decide to sign up to get that 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of the Mac Power Users and all of FM. Let's turn our attention to blogging. This is really where both you and I got our start making content on the internet uh, with Max Barkey and 512Pixels. I mean, my site's going to be 15 years old this year, which is just, I don't know how that happened. But uh, talk a little bit about Max Barkey, kind of ha- what it runs on, how you approach it, that sort of thing. I want to find out how old Max Sparky is. <laughs> it's older than my site, I'm sure. Well, it was Let's 20, um, I think 2006 that it started. Yeah, I started in 08, so. 17 years. Yeah, I should track that. 
20 years is going to be here pretty soon. I should, mm-hmm. should write that down either way. Yeah. Um, well, there's different kinds of posts that go at Max Sparky. Uh, drafts is a key tool for me. I just find it a great way to write. Uh, Greg is a friend. We've had him on the show, uh, but he just makes a killer text app. And I keep going through looking for alternatives because people say I'm so in the bag for drafts, but I just like drafts. It's so easy. He's made it so I can make it look the way I want and all those tools to to do stuff to your text after you send it. It's just the solution that works for me. And it works on the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. So I, it, all my text is everywhere. I like the thing on the watch where I can just tap a complication on my watch and record into it. So I'm all in with drafts. So every blog post starts for me in drafts. And the short ones go just to the blog and I publish them myself. The longer ones, I will have uh, JF and, and Leilani, another friend of mine, sometimes read them to make sure I didn't step in it somehow. Uh, I do use Grammarly and almost every post goes through Grammarly. Um, the ones that have dumb grammatical errors in it didn't, <laughs> but I, I find uh, it's a good service and it's worth the money and it's not super complicated. My system uh, it's more, the harder part for me is deciding what I'm going to write about and trying to bring something to it. Like there's a lot of, websites out there that just republish other people's um, blog posts, you know, like, uh, like if there's a news item and I want to mention it, I'll mention it, but I also want to kind of bring my own take to it and what I think about it. And that, so I'm careful about trying to get that mix right and do some long form stuff once in a while, but I really love writing. So it's not hard for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I try to do the same thing. I mean, I think I do more short items, kind of linked items than you do. On occasion, I will just have a pull quote, and that is me saying, "I like, there is nothing to add to this. This is perfect." Yeah, right? you agree. Um, yeah. Or, or you know, I'll have a couple of sentences, but I think the mix is is a little bit, a little bit different on on Max Sparky towards longer things. Uh, but I don't know. It's always an evolution. I mean, mm-hmm. the stuff that's been written about Max Sparky over the years has definitely changed over the years. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really like it. We moved it to WordPress last year, and I've been happy with the move. Things have worked fine. And you're using the Memberful plugin for WordPress? Yeah, that's why I went to to WordPress, because they've got that there. And it makes it really easy to have you know lab stuff and non-lab stuff. Um, people asked about that that aren't in the labs, and I added specific tags now. So there's an R. If you go to my RSS page, you can subscribe to the RSS that doesn't have any lab stuff in it. If you don't want to see that stuff, um, and it's you know, I like being able to share my opinion. You know, I guess I'm a bit of a narcissist. I don't know, but the uh, uh, I I always liked the fact that you know, there's a platform where you can publish your ideas and you don't have to go through somebody else's filter. Yeah, same. You know, I mean, I just had a thing recently where a big company that I was publishing something on tried to give me a hard time and I was ready to just burn the house down. You had to talk me off the cliff, uh, but, <laughs> but just, I, I just definitely um, skew towards self publication on yeah. just about everything. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And it's, it's why I started five twelve. you know, all, all those years ago because I felt like I had something to say and that was where I could say it. I mean, yeah. If I were starting today, would I start with a blog? No. But 
it is of its time and it is still very important to me and to what I do both personally as a content person, but also as a business for me, 512 also runs on WordPress. It's been on various things over the years, but um, my publishing flow is almost entirely through Mars edit, which is a Mac app by Daniel Jalkett over at red sweater. And it is a, amongst other things, a WordPress client for Mac OS. And I write, basically everything through there. I don't really ever blog from my phone or iPad. I've learned that that's usually a recipe for, (laughs) for accidents to happen. It's a a bad idea. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Um, and so I, I write in Mars edit and I can, you know, attach upload images and 512 actually has a complex category system that is completely hidden from the reader. Like it's not visible anywhere on the site. But I've got like 30-something categories, and I've been categorizing posts since day one, always thinking, maybe I'll expose these someday. And I think in a previous version of the design, maybe they were briefly, but uh, I could attach my categories. I do the thing that John Gruber does on Daring Fireball, where the headline is actually a link to something else. I think that's a nice format for shorter things. And I've got a custom plugin that makes that possible. And again, it's a mix of short links, longer articles each week, I'll embed video, photos, like it, it's sort of my, in a lot of ways, the blog, and I think this is probably true for you too, to an extent. I know it's true for like Jason Snell at Six Colors, where there's definitely a relationship between the blog and the podcasts, where I will explore an idea in writing, and then it comes to the podcast, a podcast, this or connected as a topic or even vice versa. You know, sometimes we'll talk about something like, say that we mention our backup strategies in a feedback show or something. If I haven't updated a blog post about that in a while, I'll write a blog post and like put it in the show notes. Like I try to make them uh, synergetic, you know, when it makes sense. And uh, I think that's, I think it's something you can do when you have more than one platform that you control. And again, like you, super on board with self-publication, right? Like to the extent that I co-founded a whole network of podcasts to do it. But I like that 512 Pixels is just me, right? It's, uh, there's no one telling me what I can and can't do there. And I really value that. Yeah. And I really like over the years, I've seen um, big platforms rise and fall that people put all their content into. And I feel like every time I'm, you know, Max Sparky has never been a massive website. You know, it's not the verge, yeah. you know, uh, but it has people that like it and come to see my opinion and they know it's there and I don't have to answer to anybody. It's also a great like home on the internet for me. And mm-hmm. people say, well, where do I find you? Just go to Max Sparky, everything, the field guides are linked there, the labs, all that stuff. You can find it there. And it's, it's just been my thing. And I think until, you know, my termination date hits, I'm going to continue to be doing stuff at Max Sparky. Yeah. And, uh, and I love it. I, I actually really love it. The, uh, the, you mentioned Mars edit had, you know, made me write that down. Cause I, I didn't use Mars edit for the longest time. Cause I wasn't on WordPress. I was a Squarespace for a long time, but with the, the labs thing, I had to switch over to WordPress. But then I thought, I don't, I'm not sure Mars edit works with my labs plugin. I need to like investigate that. Cause I feel like there's actually probably a good room or space for that in my workflow now. Yeah. And I need to go back and look at it. Yeah. I don't know. 
But yeah, I just don't know about that. Jason may know. Um, yeah. But, you know, for me, I don't, I, I do all of my membership stuff for 512, which is like a very tiny membership. Uh, yeah. I just do all that through Memberful directly. Like I just send the newsletter through there and I don't do any web content for this, for that membership at this point. Yeah. And the other thing is uh, categories versus, versus tags. I, what I do is I have secret categories. Like I talked earlier about the, the RSS feed that doesn't have lab stuff in it. That is using categories, you know, mm-hmm. um, basically I just have a category called not labs and, Anything that gets posted that's not labs gets that category. You don't see it publicly, but yeah. if you subscribe to that feed, it's got that excluded. Yeah. But I do use tags and I make them public. And I didn't know if people really like them or not. And I'm not as consistent with you. Sometimes new ones come up, and but I also try to use old ones as well. But they're exposed. So if you click on the tag on a post, you'll see other related posts. Mm-hmm. And I, I disabled it at one point and immediately got a lot of negative feedback mm. about that. So, so people do like that stuff. And, um, and I, uh, I use it. I wish I was more systematic with it from day one, but uh, I do put them in and I, I largely stick to them. And uh, I like having the tags on the side. It is kind of fun too, in hindsight to see things as my ev- thinking evolves over time. If yes. I write about an app and I click on it and say, Oh, I wrote about it eight years ago. And then I had a different take, and that's kind of fun. Oh, definitely. Do you write in Markdown for your site? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I do. I say I had to pause because I write in Markdown in drafts, but I export it as rich text before I import it into WordPress. Okay. See, I write in Markdown in Mars Edit, or even on the web. Like if I'm just editing something quick on the web, it's yeah. all Markdown, and then I use the Jetpack plugin. And one of the things it does is it will render Markdown stored in your database as HTML on the web. It used to have to, that used to be pretty difficult in WordPress or like you rely on like a weird third-party plugin, but uh, Jetpack amongst its many, many things it does now uh, can handle Markdown for you. Yeah. Um, Our last topic on our personal workflows is just called how we manage. Yeah. How are you managing, Stephen? I'm managing a lot of stuff (laughs) Uh, when I'm not recording a podcast or editing a podcast or writing an article. Um, And all, all of this is on the relay FM side for me. I mean, we've been doing it nine years. We have 50 people just about in our Slack now, which we've mentioned many times. Almost all of those are hosts. Some people aren't. Some are just like really good friends of the network. Uh, Like James Thompson, everyone's favorite uh, developer is in there. It's just as, as an example off the top of my head. But Slack is, as I've mentioned many times before, it's where it's where all internal communication takes place at Relay. We're not emailing our people. We're not really texting our people. Uh, it is it is all in Slack. And that's the office, right? So if, if Slack is not open on my, on my computer, I'm not at work. It's pretty, pretty straightforward for me. Um, you mentioned earlier that I manage a lot of the backend stuff, all the software projects, which are Neon, our CMS, and then we have an ad inventory tracking tool and a couple of custom Discord bots for our membership stuff. We use GitHub to manage all of that with our developer. And so we own several repos that are all private. We do all that through issues in GitHub. Uh, ben and I, Ben being our developer, we will communicate in Slack very often, especially if we're working on something actively. But we have a pretty asynchronous relationship because he's freelance. And unless there's a true emergency, Nothing we do is like, I need this instantly done, right? Like we can do it 
on a schedule. And so GitHub is really great for that asynchronous communication where I can open an issue or I can provide additional details or screenshots or something, and it's all there. And so GitHub is sort of the record of of the development of our software tools. Not something I thought I'd be managing when we started, really, but uh, something that has become an important part of what I do. And and in hindsight, it makes perfect sense that you would manage that because I feel like that's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, Mike and I just are very good partners in almost any way you can imagine. And and it even comes down to stuff like that, right? Like he's not good at managing technical product projects and he doesn't want to be. And that's fine because I am good at it and I enjoy it. So it, it really sort of settled out that way very naturally between the two of us. But um, there's also a lot of, you know, people management, content management with Relay. Sometimes I get asked like, you know, do y'all have a content calendar for the network or do you you know are you working with each of your hosts every week and the answer is no i mean we are a loose collection of podcasts that are centralized in terms of publication advertising and membership but i'm not having like a monday editorial meeting with all of my hosts saying okay you're going to talk about this this week and you're going to talk about that this week like we work with really talented smart capable podcast hosts and we want to give them the tools they need to succeed and not micromanage their content. Now, if someone wants input, I'm happy to give it, but we generally let people kind of do their own thing. And that's worked out really well for us over the years. Yeah. And then you also have a community you manage, actually several. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have the internal community, like I said, of almost yeah. 50 people, but we also have our Relay FM membership. And the community aspect there is in Discord. Something like 4,000 people in the Discord. Not all of them are active at any given moment, but it is very busy in our Discord. And so we have Kathy Campbell, who's been on the show before. She is our community manager at Relay FM. She also does some administrative stuff for me on my side of the business at Relay, but primarily and publicly, she's our community manager. And so uh, Kathy, Mike, and I, plus a team of half a dozen or so excellent moderators manage the discord and we make decisions as a team uh no one is out there just moderating on their own that doesn't that never ends well we discuss everything as a team and and really the discord like it's i made a joke in it the other night it's my favorite social media network like as we're recording this meta's threads app is like 12 hours old and the whole internet's on fire about it like who knows what will happen with that but the discord is my favorite place to hang out and we've got great members in there and great conversations. But, you know, we have code of conduct in there that we've evolved over the years. And we have, on occasion, moderation issues we have to deal with. But I'm lucky enough to do it with a really good team around me. Yeah. And then you also manage kind of your personal stuff in addition to the network, like the blog and the YouTube and that stuff. Yeah. And all that's just me. I mean, I will, I, I don't have like a JF who's like uh, really involved in those projects. Now, big projects, I will always bounce ideas off of things. Like I will send you and Mike and Federico and John and Jason and, you know, Kathy and Carrie, other people like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. This is kind of where I am with this. What do you think? But in the day to day, those are uh, just me. And I've got a separate business that 512 Pixels and like the Kickstarters and all that stuff kind of feed into and so that is something that predates Relay and, you know, is continues to be separate. 
Yeah. Well, my life has changed so much. You it know, has. The big switches. But I, I really spend a lot of time teaching and making content. I, I hesitate to call myself a content creator. I don't know why, because that's kind of what I am. But the, um, so I like really optimize for creation of stuff, right? That's, that's my, um, that's my good fortune that I, I am able to, you know, make my living doing that. So I want to do it well. And so I, I've kind of built everything around the idea of, well, what's the stuff that I need to be doing coming up with ideas, you know, doing the research, making videos and blog posts and newsletters and podcasts about that stuff to help people out. And so uh, the, the relationship with JF has really evolved um, where, uh, like I said, at the beginning, I'm, I, I try to give him as much as possible past the point of creation. Even though I've done that historically, I'm trying to learn that if I don't do that, that allows me to do more of the, the stuff that only I can do. And, you know, it's anybody who has a small business knows what it's like. It's really hard to give up stuff you've historically done. I think there's a bit of a control freak nature in me, but that that's what I'm working on in, in managing is just getting better at that. There's parts of it that I'm succeeding at and parts that I'm failing at. I thought this would also be a good excuse just to kind of walk through the key apps for me and some mm-hmm. of this stuff. I'm going to go through this fast, but personal business, I try to focus on Apple apps for personal business. Um, like I try to do personal tasks and reminders and personal notes and Apple notes. And part of the reason for this is because I think they're really good. And part of it's because I want to be able to talk about this stuff and share workflows with it. And I need to have my hands in it if I'm going to be able to teach people about it. Um, so personal is generally Apple apps. Um, research stuff is obsidian still. It's I, I can't state enough how much I love having an external brain and, Obsidian just really scratches the itch for me on that. The uh, the low friction of text files and linking and all the cool stuff it does is just unmatched for me. It's not the prettiest app, but it's a super useful app that I use constantly. And then there's the Max Barkey business side of things. And that's where I've tried to become more deliberate since leaving the law practice of saying, okay, this is how I make my living. I need to be more careful about some of the stuff and more deliberate and I can just go through these kind of quick um, fast mail back in for mail. Super happy with it. Uh, mail is my biggest challenge right now because as a lawyer, I didn't get the volume of mail. I do as a max Sparky, you know, and since I'm doing more max Sparky, the volume has gone up substantially. And I still don't think I'm doing a good enough job keeping up with like the customer support type email and just the, just the volume of it coming in. And if I just didn't spend time on it every day, it'll be okay but some days I just don't get there for one reason or another. And I immediately have a problem when that's the case. So that's something I'm working on, but the tools I'm using Apple mail, MailMate, SaneBox, I mean, these are all things that we've talked about on the show and this is a problem I'm trying to solve. Maybe I need more help or maybe I need to get better at automation with it. I haven't really figured it out yet. Um, tasks on me focus. You guys know, I don't need to go into that, but uh, personal uh, professional and, Max Sparky tasks are all tracked through there. Calendars and Fantastical. Again, I've spoken enough about that and my insane calendar system. Uh, notes for me, uh, work-related notes are a mixed bag. Most of them are in the craft document. I've got a separate like category in Apple Notes for some of the personal stuff. Like Max Sparky is actually a corporation, you know, and 
like all the secretary of state stuff. I don't need to like burden JF with all that. So I mm-hmm. keep that in, in the Apple note. So it just kind of depends uh, for backends and field guides are done on teachable. And we've talked about all my workflows on field guides and prior shows. So I don't need to go through that again. And then labs are run through memberful and the video stuff I do is largely through YouTube and the newsletter goes through convert kit. So I found vendors that I like and people that I work with and um, it's quite expensive, <laughs> you know, uh, all the stuff I'm publishing. And like, I just got my estimate from teachable for next year and it's, it's a lot of money, but the, uh, but that's what it is, you know, and it gives you a basis to do a bunch of this stuff. And I've learned that trying to do it yourself is not, not smart. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just need to pay them. Yeah. I don't have the separation you do. I mean, all my mail is in Mimestream, just all together. Everything yeah. is in Apple Notes. Everything is in Todoist. I try every few years to separate it out, and I just find it, it just doesn't work for me. And so everything's together, and that's not amazing, but it works for me. Oh, I like the context shift of it. Where yeah. Like, oh, I'm, yeah. Okay, now I'm working. And then the other thing I like is it allows me to spend time in the weeds with different apps, which, you know, feeds back to the blog and the podcast and the, and the labs and everything else. So mm-hmm. there, there's a bunch of reasons I do it. But um, if my life was not uh, so publicly technical, uh, maybe I wouldn't do as much of this stuff. But sure. But I enjoy it. I mean, I like trying the new stuff. I, I use SparkMail for like two months and I ultimately decided it wasn't for me. If we ever have an excuse to talk about on the show, maybe I'll do that next feedback episode. But the um, it's cool. There's some neat stuff about it, but it just wasn't for me. And so I'm constantly like throwing things into the mix to see what I can get to work. But I do like um, coming up with workflows and figuring out ways to be more efficient with your technology, which kind of explains the the course of my life at this point. Well, here's to uh, 700 more episodes of MPU, just exploring all of this stuff. Man, I hope so. I love making this show. Thank you, listeners, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Yes. I always felt like Mac Power Users is a unique show among the podcasts out there. And we are going to work really hard to keep it that way and, and keep bringing you great shows. So thanks for being there with us. Thank you to our sponsors. That's our friends over at 1Password, Clean My Mac X, and Squarespace. We're the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Those forums we were talking about, they're at talk.macpowerusers.com. We mentioned during the show we do a newsletter, too. You can sign up at relay.fm slash MPU. Then you get a newsletter uh, when the show drops every week. It's got all the links to all the stuff we talked about in the show notes. You don't have to go dig it out yourself. So you might want to check that out, too. Either way, have a great day, and we'll see you next time.